This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to All Elite Wrestling and the Elite Extended Universe. I'm Aaron Bentley. I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Mike Spears. What's up, Mike? Hey, y'all. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. I'm doing all right. I'm on day seven up in the compound. Have not left other than to do pure essentials, but, you know, I'm feeling really in touch with my mountain man like inclinations lately so i i i'm sticking together you know i'm keeping it together for y'all and to our dear listeners so i uh, hope everyone else is doing okay too how are you ab i'm okay i got a, an opinion in a case today and i i won and so it's like the first good news i've had in a long time so very exciting so i'm feeling okay today we are also joined by a man i hope is feeling okay it's nate aka epitasis what's up nate Hello. What's up, fellas? Yeah, I'm feeling okay. Mike, Pure Essentials. You, you've just been going after the Pure Essentials. It reminds me of like those 90s mail order TV advert CDs, like Pure Moods. Get some Inya in there. And I like to imagine you, you're only leaving the house to get your Inya CD. Yeah, Inya CDs. And you, you remember like how it was always Inya and then like the Gregorian chant that's done to like early 90s, like slick, like smooth R&B beats. Like those are, that's all I'm listening to right now. Fucking everybody had the Gregorian chant album. <laughs> Everybody's parents had that album. You couldn't, you couldn't look through a vertical CD tower without finding a copy of chant. Oh yeah, it was called Chant. Yeah, no, because I remember I had a like middle school teacher who was obsessed with it, and even in the late '90s, we could tell how much bullshit it was. So yeah, no, I, I'm big up on my Chant CDs. That's all I'm listening to up in the compound these days. That's, that was super weird. That might be, I guess that's almost weirder than the fact that there was a swing revival in the '90s. <laughs> that had been one of my my favorite just weird '90s things, the swing revival that happened. But really, Gregorian Chance being like a one-hit wonder was probably more bizarre in retrospect. Right. Yeah, it's like Zoot Suit Riot, all that stuff that was that was popular. Brian Setzer Orchestra, Cherry first, Pop I, Daddies. I, I thought you meant first there was a Swinger revival in the 90s, and I was very confused. Well, you know, the, they were called Swingers, hence the movie Swingers. True. Yeah, that was a weird time. And then you get the... It also makes me think of, I guess it was a little later, but then you got like Jet and the hives and like that style of music somehow became very popular for a moment oh you mean like the 2000 music yeah no. like the 2000s garbage <laughs> it was called the the garage rock revival the 2000s yeah, it was all, it was yeah. All, you know imitators of the strokes really is what it was basically sure. yeah it was like it was a very specific type of rock music but yes the swing revival was more bizarre I mean, not as bizarre, perhaps, as the Ska revival. Hey, don't get me started on it. I still, I, I lost a lot of hearing in my right ear due to Ska music, so. <laughs> I don't know. I, the Ska revival makes sense to me. That's like. Yeah. Uh, ska just makes more sense to me than Swing. It's just like, yeah, I, I, I relate to that. 
No, ska is, is bad. It, it, imagine like our younger listeners who aren't in their 30s and disenfranchised <laughs> by the world, like hearing about that there was a one-hit wonder that was Gregorian chant music and <laughs> ska versus swing. Yeah, really, ska is really just the fusion of like punk and swing at, at its core, right? Like if the Brian Setzer if the Brian Setzer Orchestra played punk, they would be a ska band. Right, yeah. I'm totally with you on that. Now, SB is a big Brian Setzer Orchestra fan, so I'll have to pose that question to her. She has a Brian Setzer Orchestra t shirt that she purchased at a Brian Setzer Orchestra (laughs) concert. And how recent is this concert that you all went to? I did not go. I'm I'm sorry to say. Oh, that's a shame. This would have been about six or seven years ago, I'd say. So wow. 2013, going to a Brian Setzer orchestra yeah, show. So that That's a deep fandom there. I'm not even going sure. to like be snarky about that. I respect someone who loves the Brian Setzer orchestra in 2013 as much as someone did for like one week in 1995. See, so this is a good example of, I used this as a metaphor, uh, you know, uh, uh, on one of these shows where I compared a wrestler to one of these bands who has like a big breakout one hit wonder and they just keep touring as like a moderately popular band for the rest of time, even though most of culture and people have totally forgotten about them. For example, the Brian Setzer orchestra still at it, probably doing a hundred plus dates a year, even though they're, you know, totally meaningless on a cultural level. Yikes. Hope Sarah doesn't listen to this. The, the funny thing about the Brian Setzer thing is they were going to be in Louisville. And I was like, Sarah, Brian Setzer is going to be in Louisville. Do you want to go? And she's like, I've already seen them once. Why would I go again? And I think that's it, most people. I think normal people sort of perceive concerts that way. Yeah, that blows my mind. It's something I just cannot grasp on any level. And it's going to be different. They might play some different songs. They might do things differently. I don't know. It's just fun. Okay, well, this is a podcast about pro wrestling, apparently. We have a, a very famous Twitter account at everything AEW. We welcome you to follow it. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji Heya. Subscribe to our podcast, please. Give us a rating. Give us a review. And here's what we're going to talk about on this show. A lot of stuff. Honestly, we're going to talk about the AEW No People Gate from last night. We're going to talk kind of about our thoughts on the presentation of that and some other things around that. We're going to play the Hangman Meter game. There's no doubt about that. And I think we're going to have a slightly different version of Elite or Delete for this show. You know, shit's weird. So we got to do a, a vaguely weird version of Everything Elite. I want to start here. Talking about the presentation. We had a lot of wrestling that's featured no fans lately. So I'm interested to hear what you all thought about the presentation of this show, especially as it relates to what we've seen from other companies. Uh, they did a really good job, I think. Um, they made a bunch of smart decisions in how they framed and set up the show that really made it feel not as super awkward as it should be. Um, they had the hard cam opposite the set, so you weren't looking out into rows of empty seats through the whole show. It also just gave you more light there because um, you know you, you were looking at a bright lit up screen and set throughout the show, so it seemed more lively. And then, of course, they had... All the heels on one side of the ring and all, all the baby faces or, you know, some of the heels, some of the baby faces on the other side of the ring to give some sort of ambient crowd noise to this. And, 
you know, give some sort of uh, energy to the guys in the ring. And it just really the opening segment was pretty awkward. But after they got that at uh, got through that and got into the swing of the show and the matches, you really kind of forgot that it was like a super bizarre No People Gate show. Right. If we take out the first five minutes, this was a one hour and 55 minute show that was probably done as well as a North American company can do these kind of shows. I feel like, I mean, we can get into the whole should they, shouldn't they thing, but I think presentation wise, they obviously were paying attention and saw what some promotions did and what some promotions didn't do and adapted from it. Whereas I've the clips that I've seen of the performance center shows really look really Muppet showish. Like it does feel like you're watching a, a show about a show about wrestling versus a watching a wrestling show. This one, like using the uh, having the the ambient chatter was like the big thing that I think really kind of tied it together. Like Stardom was able to basically get by by doing just a straight Stardom show, but having commentary to make make it feel like a real Stardom show. Other than like the overwhelming circumstances and the lack of a crowd, you would think that this was a normal episode of Dynamite. Like I think Nate's dead on about how they shot the show doing the hard cam right at the entranceway. You constantly have colors. You constantly have things in the background that aren't completely uh, just bizarre and you feel out of place there. And I think that all things considered, uh, that's kind of as well as it could have gone in my mind. Yeah, I basically agree on the presentation. They obviously did an excellent job. With it. There were long stretches of time where it wasn't even like, oh, this is kind of weird. You know, you'd pretty much forget about it and just enjoy the show. There would be moments where something would happen and I'd be like kind of put off. And then I'd realize, oh, the reason is because I'm expecting the crowd to react and they don't. So there was that, but otherwise really good. But the the kind of overarching question here now as we as we think about that show and what AEW might look like going forward is should they have done this show under the circumstances that we're in and under uh, the, you know the ideas of social distancing and keeping people safe should they have flown these people to Florida had a bunch of them in this place together and literally people wrestling like as i watched it it really hit me and I didn't expect it to hit me so hard of like, I felt icky watching people touch each other. I just, I don't want to see people touching each other. So should they have done this last night and should they continue to do it? They really should probably not have. It's hard to say that uh, so definitively because the experience of watching this show was like, oh wow, this is a very fun, loose show. The talent seems like they're having the time of their lives on this show. Everybody's just like, you know, we're having fun in our wrestling culture that we've built really on the independent level. And we're now doing it on the big stage and everything was very lively in that way. And really, again, by the midway point of the show, it's like you forgot that the world is super weird and there was nobody at this show and nobody knows what the fuck is going on. And you just kind of got lost in the show and had a good time of watching it. So it had like real you know, societal value in that way. But no, they, you, people really probably should not be traveling. People should not be doing, you know, uh, intense amounts of body to body contact. Um, and especially, and this would be my delete, but I'll just do it now. Absolutely no reason to have anybody, you know, uh, that's not a young active athlete competitor flying out and being on this show and being in close proximity with all these other people. Uh, you know, talk, you had 
Jake the Snake Roberts, who made this trip and was out there because they wanted him to sit in the crowd. Like, just a stupid risk. Stupidly wasteful. No reason to do it. Didn't add anything to the show by having him there. Really distracted from the show because you go, oh, yeah, well, he's awfully, you know, close to these other people out here. And he's not a spry young athlete who's, you know, probably going to, uh, you know, shake off any anything that he contracts and be fine. Um, it's just, uh, you know, not worth the risk. You look at the NBA, the only people that are getting tested in this country are players in the NBA. And, you know, half the people that are testing positive have no symptoms whatsoever. Like, and, you know, you can look at AEW Talent's Twitter and see that they're not particularly practicing social distancing when they're not at these shows. Like, the odds that nobody on this show had or was carrying the virus are, like, have to be pretty slim. So it's just not smart. You should at least have, you know, the, the older people on your roster and in your crew should not be anywhere near this. Yeah, like, before I get into this they shouldn't have had the show i'm just going to get it out there before i play the other side a little bit and talk about things not necessarily about social health they should not have had this show i'm going to say these things but they should not have had the show just to get that out there first i think that with the consequences with the opportunities and with the general idea of what's going on right now i get why the show's happened i completely agree with nate there's no reason why Jake the Snake Roberts, Tully Blanchard, Jim Ross, just people that would be more susceptible to this, like being out there for this. But for how the thing was structured and for how their business is, they, uh, their lifeblood is the uh, Warner deal, correct? Like that is, to my understanding, the vast line share of their revenue comes in from that deal. But so... There's the bit of them that they want to kind of do what they can to keep things happy with Warner. And you can get into the thing of why not show some of the old stuff? Why not do that there? And at the same time, we had a show that I would kind of call like if they go dark for a week or a month, this felt like a season finale episode. Like you had like the big moment at the end of the show and you obviously would have the big things to come back for like a quote unquote season premiere. So the show shouldn't have happened. I get why it happened. I'm also somewhat of the belief that either no one's sick in, in this roster or everyone's sick at this point, just because of how everything is going, how these things, this is transmitted. There's a very small chance that no one's sick, but there's an incredibly huge chance that everyone on that roster probably has some form of COVID-19 just because of how things operate, how things are. It just seems like more often than not, and just because of the state of testing in the United States, I'm I'm erring towards being realistic about it. So, yeah, I'm with different minds. The show shouldn't have happened. I get why it happened. And it was probably an opportunity that, in retrospect, they might decide this wasn't worth it or they might see this as us sticking through this and trying to get on with this probably is the thing that propels us forward. So, different. I'm on separate minds about this. Uh, and I do want to add, you know, those older guys that have been in the business forever, too, I'm sure they're saying, oh, the show must go on. You, know, right. you got to go and do the show. That's the attitude we're raised with. Somebody's hurt. They got to walk it off and go do the show. Um, you know, you, you look at guys like JR who have been working into their advanced age here now and, you know, make it a point of pride that they continue to show up and work week after week. That's a point where, <laughs> like, management needs to protect talent from themselves. People in the wrestling business do not have a great 
uh, knack for self-preservation. They're always going to choose to do the show if you give them the option to do the show. And giving them the option to do and, and them doing the show is not the correct outcome. So you kind of can't give them the option to do the show. And that's, you know, uh, the, the indications were that uh, Tony Khan and management were like, hey, anybody that doesn't want to do the show doesn't feel comfortable traveling, uh, you know, just wants to do social distancing or whatever. That's fine. Stay home. You're not going to lose your spot or your push. That's all well and good. But, you know, if you give if you give somebody like Jr., who's, you know, uh, takes pride in his uh, work history and wants to continue working until, you know, uh, the day he no longer can, he's going to show up. So, you know, uh, who's at that point, who, who's really making that decision? Is it you or is it him? It's kind of you. And, and also the fact that they were all there, they better like there's rumors that they just shot TV like it was just one night and do the stuff and get ready for next week. If everyone's there, they better have put everything in the can they could have for what might happen and the stake of the company and putting people's health and welfare there. You might as well get everything ironed out and be prepared for that you will be gone for the next month. I think that's not a ridiculous thing to say. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it doesn't appear that they taped anything, but. As far as the Tony Khan thing goes and saying, well, you can stay home if you want. I just don't think that's good enough. I think that's a cop out, to be honest, because like Nate said, all these people want to be there. But it's also in this society, you can't shake from your head that it is going to cost you a push. It is going to cost you within the company if you're not a team player and you don't show up, you know, when everybody else does. You're going to feel like somewhere in Tony Khan's head, he's going to think, wait, Colt Cabana actually came and did the thing. And you stayed home. So I trust him more than I trust you. I mean, look at the NBA. Adam Silver has come out and said, he's talked to the players. They want to play. Of course they do. You know, he said, because especially this is more true in the NBA than it is in pro wrestling, but there's some aspect in both of them. He said in the NBA, they're all playing against time. If you lose a season, you're never getting that season back. And for wrestlers to just, I mean, it's almost the opposite when you think about like the bump card idea, but it is your athleticism and your ability to do certain things is only going to be around so long. And these guys just want to go and go. And we've all seen on Twitter the things wrestlers are saying about coronavirus. I mean, <laughs> so, so. I, I mean, we can talk about the one person who was most actively against it and then instantly come home from working at Mexico incredibly sick. So, yeah. 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 Not a great sense for self-preservation. Right. Yeah. Not a great sense of self-preservation. And, and, and the thing with, uh, you know, pandemics is their sense of self-preservation doesn't just affect their own health and well-being. It affects everyone's health and well-being. Right. I mean, they're pro wrestlers. Their job is literally dangerous to their bodies at basically all times. So you shouldn't expect them to have a great sense of self-preservation. I, I don't fault them for that in any way. But here's the only thing that gives me pause about not doing the shows. And this is like a fucked up perspective. I'll be straight up about it. But this company is brand new. If right. they go dark for a month, mm -hmm. who knows how many people are going to come back to watch this. WWE can survive going dark for a month. Their numbers will drop. We don't know if AEW can survive that. And they might be thinking, we're the only game in town. I mean, it's, as it comes to like live sporting type events, unless you're watching WWE, but they might think they can really grab a foothold if they stick through it and keep running shows during this time. I think that's dangerous, but I, I could understand that perspective. 
Right. And that's what I was trying to say. Like, I get the mindset of with Warner Media being the lion's share of the money. Like, this is kind of, you have to, look, like, I definitely get, like, the idea from, like, the business standpoint of feeling like you have to do it against human nature, human welfare. So, yeah. And also, like, seeing, like, who they brought in and knowing their more eyes on, like, this was kind of like a, well, shit, we have to. And it's a fucked up way of thinking. I totally get where you're coming from because they shouldn't have had the show. Yeah, I mean, the the profit motive corrupts everything and works contrary to the health of society. You know, this is this is no surprise. <laughs> well, we also don't know the contractual situation that they're in. We don't know what they've agreed to provide. And if they've agreed to provide 52 weeks of live television or what 51 weeks or whatever, then they're in an interesting situation. So I'm not sure what they should do based on the... I'd have to see the contract to say, like, what I would think they should do. But... As much as I, you know, we need the content to do this podcast, and as much as I like having the show to sit down and watch, I just am not really comfortable with the show continuing for now. Yeah, you know, you get, you get, you know, the dumbass best friends out there goofing around and bumping into each other. It's, I'm like, you know, if these guys weren't on TV doing this, they'd be, you know, <laughs> be dumbasses rolling around with each other somewhere else. So it doesn't really chafe me in that regard, but. When you have older people out there for really no reason, you know, they're they're maybe above replacement value as far as pro wrestling talents, but like you can hold them for a few weeks and see how this shakes out. Like just not 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 worth the risk. The 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 reward is not at all worth the risk in that regard. Yeah. And I think that I think the one that really is is Jake Roberts because you did not need to have Jake Roberts sit out in the crowd. Like it was it's beginning warmer in the southeast, so it's not like we we're afraid that he was going to catch a cold, but him being out there for practically an hour and a half, cutting a two-minute promo, and then airing a, a VTR, they could have done something different. Yeah, they, like, they had no another video package for Lance Archer. Like they weren't going to leave that lying because they had that other thing to heat him up. And also Jr. Like they had an excess of commentators on this show. You had four commentators, so they didn't have Tony at the desk for whatever reason. Like just tell Jr. to stay home and be healthy. Yeah, and frankly, it's not that I'm worried about. I know the best friends would probably be dumbasses away from this show too. It's that then they get on a plane and who's on that plane. Then they're in a hotel and who's in that hotel, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just the ability to spread this thing appears to be above and beyond other strains of these types of illnesses that we see. And these are the kind of guys who could very easily because of the circumstances and how they get around, spread it to lots of people. And, you know, the competition here, NXT, has a more insulated work environment where basically the whole roster lives in the same place in Florida where the arena is, considerably less exposure and, um, you know, uh, 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 transmission opportunities when you have all these people who live in the same condo building or whatever, and they you put, take them all over the arena and you have 12 people or whatever, and you do your little matches. But NXT made the choice not to do a, a new show last night. And, you know, that was probably the more responsible. All right, let's talk about some things that happened on the show. We're going to start with the Hangman heel meter, baby. Here's basically what we got from Hangman last night. So we got the first segment, which we'll talk about more. But basically, Matt Jackson, where's Hangman? He comes out. Can we kind of patch this up for this match? Hangman has a glass. He kind of gestures with it and says, yes, you know, I, I got your back, whatever. Then we have the main event, and 
they're kind of shitty with each other. Like he and, and Matt Jackson kind of, they're playing up this dissension angle. But by the end, they work together. Hangman comes in. They try to work together. Hangman comes in. They're going to do the Indy Taker. But it, Paige gets pulled off the, the ropes. But they kind of work together a little bit, and they seem to be doing okay. So that's kind of what we have in the Hangman uh, heel meter that we can push into the machine to spit out our numbers for this week. As I recall, you were both at five last week. Correct. Six. That was a six. Oh, no. Wow. We were at six. You we were, were at seven. Six. No, he was no, at four. I was at four. You, we okay. were on the opposite sides of five. Me yes. and Mike were six. You were yeah, at four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that means the average was 4.67. Or <laughs> Sure. No, no. no. 5.37. <laughs> I have no clue. Five and change. Not the, here to do math. The, 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 the meter right now is at five and change. I'm doing... I'm doing fractions in my head right now. I've not done math like this in a long time. If, yeah. We're... If, if you missed last week, the idea is one to ten. Five and a third. Five and a third is the answer. Okay. Five and a third. How much of a heel is Hangman from a one being like uh, Surfer Sting, Super Babyface, to a ten being like, I, I don't know, Osama Bin Laden? You know, like <laughs> those, are your, <laughs> those are your options. We're going from Surfer Sting to Osama Bin Laden. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Similar. <laughs> Did, did Osama Bin Laden have any pro wrestling on his computer? He was tall as hell. Um, <laughs> this motherfucker no. should have been hooping. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't think he had any pro wrestling on his computer. Uh, he did have some funny shit, though. Yeah, it would have been sick if he had pro wrestling. Anyway, this week, let's hear it, guys. I mean, where are you after another week of results? Uh, so the interesting point about them working together at the end of the tag matches, it did lead to their loss. That was the direct uh, uh, catalyst of their loss was they went to do the Undertaker after getting on the same page and, and teaming up uh, to do the previous spot. And then, as you said, Hangman gets pulled off the apron in the exact same way that he pulled Nick Jackson off the apron and the tag match at the pay-per-view. Um, but he was certainly making a effort there to, you know, uh, communicate to his, his to the guys in the elite that he was with them on the same page as them and then that paid off in the match that he actually did try to work with Matt Jackson so I was out of six I'll go back past the the five threshold and I'll, I'll go down to the four okay that makes sense um I think him coming out agreeing in his way was a pure babyface move at the start of the show like he was willing to put bygones behind them and go through it uh, the actions in the match itself, like, I feel like that a lot of that was heat of the moment stuff. Like, all right, we think that we're going to work together on the same page, but then we get into the thick of it. And, you know, things don't always happen like how we intend to with cooler heads. And then by the end of the show, I, I think that he was a little bit more of a face just because, like, I think, like, you best made plans, you know. I, so I'm going to put him at three this week. So he's, he's, he's jumping firmly back into being a strong baby face in my mind. I'm going two. I'm going down to a two. Okay. Not only did he do basically everything from a babyface perspective on this show, but I want to take the contrary position of somebody that I saw on Twitter. I can't remember, but it was somebody we're friends with. Wearing a Dixie Chick shirt is a babyface move and was very good, and that almost pushed me to a one. But I'll go with a two, down to a two this week. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely was a, a big one move from there. So that puts our average this week at a three. That also, so, I didn't even, I mean, we shouldn't probably bring this into the equation, but Adam Page also endorsed Medicare for All since the last episode. 
and you know put out a statement, uh, probably the most responsible statement we've seen from a wrestler on uh, the coronavirus. Yeah, I mean, we can't really factor that in. As and you, you, I know you said that we shouldn't, um, but he is. You know, if Zach Saber was the sweet woke boy of this podcast previous incarnation then i think uh adam hangman page has picked up that mantle and he did also he in canon changed his uh, name to adam handswash page so that's certainly a more woke name as well um so yeah i put it the four on the point of the handswash and of course we always get these comical lower thirds with uh hangman <laughs> um i also just noticed for the first time that he gets a gold chiron and the non-champions all get silver chirons so the champions apparently get a special graphic, which is just a, just a nice little touch. Again, like an a, a attention to detail that I appreciated. All right, we're going to do Elite or Delete a little different this week because I feel like there were two big stories and, you know, we're 26 or so minutes in and we haven't even talked about them yet. So I feel like we should talk Elite or Delete solely on the Brody Lee, Matt Hardy debuts. So... Whether you thought them showing up was elite, something about it, or actually how it was done. I know what Mike's going to say, so I'll just start with Mike. What is your elite pick based on the Brody Lee and Matt Hardy debuts? Well, it's not based on the debuts. It's based about being right. It's based about being able to call one's shot. And I don't remember the exact episode, but I remember when this thing was all popping up, I said, March 18th, Brody Lee is the exalted one. And, and I thought this for a multitude of reasons. One, his 90-day non-compete clause would would dissolve before that time, and the 18th made sense from there. Two, there was a show happening in Rochester. The show was supposed to happen at Rochester last night, which is both his and other people in the AEW office's hometown. And three, he is a kind of distinct-looking person, and it has a different kind of profile that... Suddenly, now we have like this budding hoss kind of subdivision going on in the men's division. So, I give myself the elite pick here. I feel like that I was completely correct. I feel like that people should listen to me more often because I, when I call my shot, I shoot my shot. All right. I mean, I, I can't be mad about that. You you called it. You were right. I don't remember making any predictions about it. So, who could say whether I was right or wrong? I will. I was... I was right that Matt Hardy was inbound. I was incorrect that I anticipated he would probably be related to the Dark Order just because he had the goofy broken gimmick, of course, and that kind of tied into the supernatural nonsense going on with the cult. Um, And I do kind of think, you know, if he was in the Dark Order and the Exalted One, there would have to be an evolution of that delete gimmick. It wouldn't just be, you know, uh, retreading the same ground that he did in TNA and doing the delete thing and having the coat and the piano and stuff, it would have had to take on a more uh, cultish tone to it. And I think that probably would have helped the gimmick uh, feel a bit fresher. Uh, But I will put myself over for, you know, saying, I don't know how many months ago that Matt Hardy would be involved in the company. And now our elite or delete title for this segment really has paid off. Well, Um, I will, I popped huge for the drone. I just think it's so fucking funny when there's a drone in wrestling. Uh, you know, going back to when this, when they started building the first uh, Young Bucks versus Hardy Brothers match, and the, you know, Vanguard One came out at a Ring of Honor show, and the Young Bucks super kicked it. Just like a classically goofy pro wrestling thing that doesn't happen in any other medium. It doesn't make any sense to anyone that's not 
you know, uh, engrossed in it. But just the the sight of this drone suddenly flying in from the foreground of the picture toward the ring was just a delight to me. Um, and yeah, uh, I I, I do kind of wish the the Hardy thing was going in some new direction, but you know, he's super fucking over in this gimmick. People go wild for it. So uh, they just keep stacking stars in this promotion. And it's not just the drone that's great. It was the fact that the drone came in. And like the one great thing about not having a crowd was the shot we got of Matt Hardy just standing on the balcony by himself, camera fixated on him, him just doing like the biggest deletes of his life and just completely like having almost conniption fit with like his bright veneers they has on. And then you shot to Chris Jericho, who completely sold for this as well as anyone could. It just was ridiculous it was kind of like the ridiculous moment that if that's like the last shot of aew for the next few weeks that's a tremendous note to live on to lead on and i think that's fantastic yeah the the piano music really enhanced it um and you know had they not had that on cue it might have come off a bit worse but came off remarkably well and yeah jericho like jericho kind of had like bloodshot eyes and looked fucked up in the first place but it, the, the the confluence of those things kind of made him seem like he was like almost crying seeing matt hardy here in this position and it was a great hot finish to the show which you know since the pay-per-view has had the heels coming out on top week after week after week to build this heat up to the uh war games match so they did a good job here of still giving the heels the advantage because that's how you want to build the match for these war games matches but the you know baby faces had another trick up their sleeve and that's what you want to see also is the baby faces outsmarting the heels and having their own uh you know advantage coming to the match themselves i'm not sure if this is really going how i anticipated but here's my elite pick based on these two debuts that fucking stiff ass lariat that brody lee gave after his debut i mean people i don't know you haven't seen him a lot lately and if you haven't watched wwe in a while you haven't seen him at all but the guy can uh, lay some stuff in, and it was fun to see him just knock somebody out. And as Mike was saying, you got, like, a bigger dude that kind of gives some more variety to the show. That's good. But it just, like, it really struck me as a, as a cool move, and I liked it. So that's my pick. I think he, all, he teased the sister Abigail before it, too, which is just, like, again, another little note that rewards you for being a wrestling fan and watching. You're just like, oh, a little callback that makes it seem like there's actually a shared universe here and we're not just, you know, picking and choosing whatever nonsense. Um, I will say the trio of the dark order, super smash brothers and Brody Lee, like the, the ceiling for their trios matches is much higher than the dark order. Plus Matt Hardy. Like they could have some fucking bangers like dark order versus death triangle is like, you know, I want to see that match fucking now. I think this is going to be really remarkable for Brody Lee. And he was someone that I enjoyed so much before he got sucked up into the WWE superstar breaking machine. And just like seeing him like do like classic Brody Lee stuff, like as someone who watched him in Chikara and Dragon Gate USA, it would just, just rad to see. Though I do have a delete. My delete is Brody Lee's gear. He should have came out dressing like former Evolve star Jason Kikai just being like a hillbilly prophet. Like, that's what I kind of wanted out of, like, him coming in like this. But instead, he kind of had gear that was a lot like Eddie Kingston's in a way, where it's like the uh, where it's like the singlet top and, like, the long pants. It just was kind of 
it it didn't really match like at least what my mental image of of Brody Lee is what I'll say, and I'd delete that. That's the only thing I would delete from these two debuts. So I I see your point on that, but I think it's smarter to have the departure from the Wyatt family, where it's not just like oh the Dark Order is just like a poor man's Wyatt family or whatever. Like their whole thing is like this corporate Scientology cult kind of thing. So better for him, I think, to trend a bit closer to that direction than going full backward stuff. If I'm going to delete something here for these debuts, I'll just delete the full Chikara-ness of both of it. Um, both in that, you know, they're, they're the more cartoony sort of, you know, superhero-y version of wrestling that we do see in this promotion sometimes. You know, I, for the most part, enjoy all of that. Uh, at least, you know, w- uh, with the sparing amount of it they've done in AEW. But it does trend a little bit, you know, toward the goofier supernatural sort of side of wrestling. Uh, and the other Chikara aspect of it is that there were no fucking fans, so we got no pop, and that sucked because we would have gotten <laughs> huge pops. Yeah, my only thing about the, the Brody Lee gear, I agree that I'm not so sure about it, but the jacket is sick, though. The jacket is cool. I like the jacket. But it's wasn't he, like, ripped to shit at the end of his – WWE run? I mean, I feel like he had gotten real, could, in really good shape. Uh, well, he, I mean, not that he looked like he was in bad shape, but you could see a little bit of a, of a belly in the old in the old singlet. And uh, I mean, he's also like forty years old. Too. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. But he was like, I, I don't know. I thought he was really ripped at one point. Anyway, my delete of this, and I hate to do this to him, but. The fu- you can't get the fucking shot of the poor guy walking out from backstage. That can't make it on TV. Uh, you got to do a better job of, of direction, of production. Did I miss that? Was that for Brody Lee? Yeah. When they when they first like cut to the video, Yeah. right before that, you could see him walking out from backstage. Oh. And you could, <laughs> I mean, I sensed, you know, thanks to Mike, I sensed it was going to be Brody Lee. So I was like, oh yeah, that's Brody Lee. But you could see like his white jacket. And his big beard and, and whatnot. And then so when they cut back, which you could see him in the video, but when they cut back to the ring, it was like, oh, cool. So you walked out from the back and you know, walked out to the ring. So that sucked. And then uh, apparently they did not cut that out when they when they posted it online. So also a bummer. Well, yeah. I mean, I, that's how they obviously would have done it had there been a crowd is my assumption. So even then, it's like, at least, at least that dials down the supernatural aspect of it. He didn't magically appear in the ring when the video is playing. Like, he just walked out. So maybe that's a defense. I don't know. All right. Ratings. Weird week for ratings, obviously. AEW, actually, they're up in everything. So 932,000 total viewers. That's up from 766 last week. So a huge jump. They moved... Uh, from a 0.26 to a 0.35 in the demo, and that moved them from 25th to 20th um, among all the shows in the demo. NXT had a big drop down to 542,000 from 718. They dropped all the way to 81st in the demo, putting up a 0.16 down from a 0.21. Yeah, I mean, last week it was right in the middle of everything breaking, everything kind of going to hell, the NBA situation, and then this is kind of the after effects of being one of the only two new things on TV this week. It, the only other thing in the top 20 that did better than AEW that wasn't news was Real Housewives. And, you know, this is an interest. It's I, I feel kind of conflicted about 
talking about ratings right now for obvious reasons. But this was a show that given what was all going on here, there's a noticeable jump in viewership. And, you know, if this was a regular, if we're in regular times, I'd be like, okay, we'll see like what bringing and ending with Matt Hardy and it and having Brody Lee and what that will do for next week's uh, viewership, especially for what would have been the blood and guts match when we don't know that's the case. So that's really all you could take away from this. I feel like. You got to think that a lot of NXT watchers watched AEW this week. That has to explain. I mean, the I haven't done the math, but the divergence is almost equal. Yeah, and, and again, it's those NXT watchers might be regular AEW viewers anyway, just maybe not live AEW viewers. Because again, we think the AEW viewership with DVR viewership is you know over a million probably every week. So. Maybe just those NXT viewers saw that it was, you know, basically a pre-taped show for NXT and went, well, I guess I'm watching AEW. All right, let's run down the show and we'll kind of work in our normal Elite and Delete picks, what we liked and didn't as we run through the show. We started out with Cody in the ring. It's like this very weird shot where clearly they were trying to make this distinction between that and then once they turn on the lights and the pyro, but you could see this like weird shadow of him and the cameraman, which I didn't really care for. But he kind of does this weird promo about not living in a prison of fear, which I was really worried about where that was going. I thought he was getting ready to tell us that coronavirus was a hoax. I was terrified. Uh, but then he says he's going to call out three guys, which, of course, were uh, Matt and Kenny and Hangman Page. He says Matt is the most important guy as far as AEW coming into existence other than Tony Khan. Basically, what they used this, this for was to build this story of None of these guys basically being on the same page now that Nick is out. So you don't have the Nick and Matt connection together. So they kind of use this for Cody to talk about why none of them are on the same page. Uh, so he basically said to Matt, you know, that he's going to need that uh, older brother wisdom and for him to bring Nick Jackson's heart. He talks about Paige and how uh, he's a big fan of his. He's put him over a lot. He thought he would be the first champion, but he isn't because he lost Chris Jericho just like Cody did. And then he talks about Kenny Omega and says, hey, you know, Kenny, you and I can argue till we're blue in the face about who's the 1A and the 1B in this company, but I need the best bout machine because I need the elite to be elite. So then Omega and Matt Jackson walk out. Omega has a very bizarre yellow shirt and uh, wonderfully tight khakis on. Just a strange look from Omega. What a fit. And he says... Usually this would be a full arena, but now it's just uh, to us friends. The world is falling apart, and it could kill us too, meaning the company. I don't think he meant uh, the wrestlers. He said, I don't even know if we're going to have a Dynamite next week, but if we go out, I want to go out like we came in as the elite. And Matt says, you know, I like you calling us all out here, but it's just the three of us, so where's Hangman? That's when Paige walks out, and we get what we talked about earlier, where Matt says, I know we can't fix this tonight, but I'm asking you, will you stand with us? And Paige gestures and says yes, and then Cody says, everybody out there, or I guess this was Kenny, I know you need entertainment, so we're going to put on the best show we can, hit the lights, hit the pyro, let's start dynamite, and we did get a cool moment here where the lights come up and the pyro hits and the show starts. Yeah, this was, uh, if we're doing traditional elite or delete, this would be my delete of the week. I, It felt like Cody was doing his version of a John Cena rally the troops we have caught in compromise Osama Bin Laden to a permanent end speech at the beginning of this but but then like when he called everyone out and was like alright we're gonna get on the same page and 
everyone like kind of like rallying up it was a little bit too much of like a superhero team up thing for my taste it just seemed kind of uh contrived in a way and and in a way that's distinctly not who cody has been portrayed as on tv and how he's been portraying himself so i did not like it i did like the shot of like all right the show starts and it did feel like there was a delineation between this weird pre-show segment and the actual dynamite program yeah, I don't want to come down on it too hard because of, you know, weird circumstances and degree of difficulty. But I think this just, you know, demonstrates how unnatural and like not naturalistic most pro wrestling promos are. Like when you have just a couple guys in an intimate setting here, like they don't make grand proclamations toward the camera like you do in a pro wrestling promo. And this uh, really had that tension where you're like, oh, this doesn't feel right. Um, and, you know, like Kenny's Kenny's always a very big character anyway, so he especially doesn't play into that well. But, you know, I'm, I'm just give it a pass because shit's weird, you know. I liked it. It was like it had the Brechtian charm to it, which I enjoyed. And then it's like, yes, there was some weirdness to it. I didn't like Cody's part at the beginning. And it was a little awkward because they I'm sure they're feeling just as like weird as the rest of us are. Like, what is this going to be? But. We got much more advancement of the elite story than we have in weeks with these with these promos. This was much more of a okay. Now we're talking talking real shit about why we kind of all don't get along. But here's what we're gonna try to do. I, I like that better than what we got in the last ma- in the main event, which was Madden, Hangman, and is there gonna be dissension? It's like okay, we've seen a lot of that. I enjoyed this more. Well, I mean, the main event was different because there wasn't dissension. It, it, it represented some sort of change in Hangman. And I do, he was very identifiable here, as Mike uh, mentioned earlier, just coming out and, like, not wanting to fucking go through this whole rigmarole and just be like, yeah, man, whatever. Let's just, I don't want to talk about it. Fine, I'm on the same page. Bye. <laughs> like, that was like, yeah, I, I felt that for sure. After this, we got the Death Triangle and Best Friends in Orange Cassidy video that was on Road 2. And, you know, it was good then. It was good now. We talked about it on AW Light this week, which all three of us are on that show, by the way. Next up, we got Tony Schiavone. He's with MJF. This is when we first get the sense that there's going to be a lot of people around the ring. So Tony's kind of over on the heel side. We're seeing MJF. We see Sean Spears. MJF says the reason he's not wrestling is he doesn't have to, and AW isn't offering enough money for winning matches tonight, so he'll let the undercard talent wrestle. And then they do this little stilted bit about MJF and Sean Spears gambling on the matches. Match Be- versus suck. Best use of Sean Spears since the, the chair shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I hate the idea of winner's purses. I think we've broken the veil so much in wrestling that really like trying to hammer that in when we know what like the life of a wrestler is. I feel like that's, an, that's insulting your fans' intelligence. So, yeah. yeah. I think it's insulting your fans' intelligence to pretend that there are wins and losses in a fake sport no that's the whole fiction it's a but fake there sport. is you, you have the sports. title belt you have the title belt which is like a signifier of the company that you are that you're doing the performances for but the idea of that your personal salary you is devoted to a fake on this one you've been it's rightfully torn apart about it in the dm nah. so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna hammer it further you guys can enjoy your animal crossing island for hating win purses all i know is that Jim Ross is on one side and I'm on the other, and that's good enough for me. Yeah, if Jim Ross thinks that this is something that's going back, then let's bring back the idea that faces and heels should be completely in a different sides of the state. 
I mean, we we have them on different sides of the it, ring, but they have yeah. to be like completely different it was things. Good. It was right. And, and was then, right then make that. sure like if they can't be in the same bar as each other afterwards, and if you get into a fist fight with a fan, you have to win or you're fired. Yeah, let's just do all of Bill Watts' that great ideas. Good to me. I actually agree that if you lose a fight, you should get fired. I actually do agree with that. All right, we got the Lucha Brothers uh, defeating the best friends. This was supposed to be a trios match, but Pac could not be in the building. And no, it was always a tag match. Oh, I'm Meltzer thinking about the match later. Yeah. yeah. Meltzer was certainly talking about like Pac was supposed to be here and they you know, couldn't get him in the country. Yeah, I'm thinking about the Butcher and the Blade match. I'll get back to that. Lucha Brothers defeated the best friends. Pentagon pinned Trent with the Cerro Miedo after a low blow, which would which would play in here. Um, the other interesting notes from this match, Orange Cassidy was on commentary and slept through most of the match, which was funny. Jim Ross, I couldn't tell if he was truly annoyed by it or if he was playing along. It's sometimes hard to tell with him, but uh, it was funny. Yeah, kind of doesn't matter. You kind of get the same effect, whether right. it's sincere or not. Uh, Brandy was ring announcing, and this is the first time we saw her. They pointed up on Twitter before that she would be ring announcing, even though she said she would never do it again. It was funny because she announced the first people, and then she just shrugged at the camera like, oh, yeah, that's that's me doing ring announcing. I thought that that was great. She was like, yeah, I'm doing it. I thought that, <laughs> like, I'm here. And she was great at whenever, like, they would go to the ringside. Like, she was very good at expressing herself and being like, I am not the normal ring announcer. I'm still Brandy Rhodes. And I'm here tonight doing this job, and I'm getting through it as best as I can. And I appreciated that. Yeah, that was a pro, pro Brandy Rhodes podcast. Absolutely. After the match, the best friends were with Tony. Tony gets a lot of work on this show. He did a lot of interviews. And Chuck says to the Death Triangle, you're a bunch of chumps. You kicked my friend in the dick when he wasn't looking. And so he challenges the Death Triangle to a street fight match in the street on the next Dynamite. Cool step for a no fans show, presumably just a smart way to take advantage of the situation instead of like making it more awkward. Uh, and really the best friends, you know, I buried them earlier for being uh, dumbasses, but like they're like total goofballs and dumbasses and that's the charm of them. But it also makes them way more real than every other pro wrestling act. Like they certainly feel a thousand times more real in this interview than the opening segment did with the elite. Just like, you know, Trent walks by the interviewer cause he just lost and got kicked in the balls and Tony's like, are you okay? And you just are like, no. And it's like, yeah, that was like, that was real right there. That felt more real than almost anything else we see on these, you know, primetime cable television shows. Yeah. I would argue that on like a wrestling show, this definitely felt like real people wrestling and being involved in a wrestling show more so than most weeks between this, when we get to talk about Colt Cabana later. It just felt very much like, okay, these are like these people's real personalities. They aren't necessarily 100% characters or workers the entire time. I thought it was great. I thought I thought that like the idea of doing the the um, street fight, the parking lot brawl is just like if they're all there, that's something that you can film in advance as long as it's dark out and you don't need to have any fans around because you're not going to and that's something that keeping the can i think that as nate said like they've done a smart idea of what we're going to book to to not have a weird show if our next show is also going to have no fans and buddy you got gold dust in the building and if anybody knows about parking lot brawls it's gold dust they got to basically recreate the gold dust rowdy rowdy piper match that's what they should do so we're gonna have to have like full-on like uh oj level like street chases that they're gonna do like third generation oj stuff yes 
Also, this now gives us an excuse to talk about that match on the Patreon if we wanted to. I think we should, actually. Great match. Hikaru Shida defeated Penelope Ford, Riho, and Chris Statlander in a four-way match. Shida pinned Penelope Ford with a running knee. This was like the best match on the show, I thought. This is very entertaining. Again, we'll complain every week that there's, you know, just one segment for the women, and that's what they get. And no matter how many women are on the show, they're going to be in that one segment. But uh, I thought the match was really good. I think it was kind of funny after AB and I spent so much time putting over Penelope Ford that she had kind of a rougher match here. But I just still, like, whenever I I watch Penelope Ford, I really do think that she's probably the surest bet out of anyone on that roster of becoming – like the homegrown star, like even with like this match, I feel like that for a match that when you have four ways, they usually really fucking suck, but they put together a really, really fun one. Of course, we got a lot of Hikaru Shida and Chris Statlander interplay with that. And I thought that was pretty enjoyable, but now it's, it's interesting their treatment of Riho over the, since she's lost the title, because now she was not figuring the decision here. She lost to Penelope Ford on dark. It, it seems like they're really playing up the fact that she's, taking a, a nosedive after losing the belt. Well, I, yes, I don't I don't know if it's a nosedive or they're just trying to uh get over that you know uh, uh the the Penelope Ford and Kip Sabian combo are really uh you know getting her goat from week to week or whatever. Then she <laughs> they seem to be going at it on Twitter too. I think this leads to Riho just beating Kip Sabian and getting her heat back that way. And I think that's the right move. Kip Sabian, though, was good on the show. Oh, no. Kip Sabian, as the manager, is tremendous. Like, don't get me wrong. He, like, inverting the idea of the annoying girlfriend as the manager and having it be the annoying boyfriend is a nice, like, play on that. And this is the most I've liked Kip Sabian ever in all elite wrestling. I'm going to take a victory lap on that because when everybody was saying Kip Sabian should be dead to rights and you guys are burying him and wanting him off the show and out of the country, I was saying the act of Penelope Ford has potential. So a victory lap for me while we're at it. He should absolutely be deported. I don't think there's any question about that. But would have been my elite pick for the week. I love the the Kip Sabian Riho interplay. I love Kip Sabian just like absolutely being willing to get his ass kicked by women on every show. I'm enjoying that. And it's like to me this version of Kip like from a character uh perspective is the highest best use of him because he is annoying and he does seem like an asshole and you kind of kind of you get that from him, so I enjoy that. What I'm irritated about here is the booking of Riho and the booking of Penelope Ford. So Riho is the most over woman on the roster, and it's fine. You know, we we already had our takes about the the Nyla Rose uh, title switch. I got no real problems with that, but you got to treat Riho well unless she's about to leave for some extended period of time, and so you can kind of forget about it when she comes back. But on the other hand, Penelope Ford, what the fuck is the point of her pinning Riho and then getting pinned by Sheeta? What good does that do for Penelope Ford? None is the answer. Yeah. It weird. should be huge to get a win over Riho. It's like, you know, it goes back like when Darby had a draw with Cody and then got beat by Sean Spears on the next show. Just like, why? You know, you're not following through on the whole thing you set up. So, yeah, that's odd. Um, maybe just have Statlander take the fall here. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you're clearly building up Sheeta. She's ultimately going to be, I think, the big challenger for Nyla. So it makes sense for her to win, and you're not really doing anything with Statlander. If 
Penelope hadn't beaten Riho, she would have been the obvious fall person in this match. But at this point, it kind of didn't make sense. We see Tony with Colt Cabana right after this match. Colt is basically just putting everyone over, being very charming. And he makes the comment that Penelope would be better without Kip. This leads to Kip Sabian interrupting. Kind of comes over. Colt basically just suns him, as, as I would call it. Just pushes his ass away. And, it was great. Uh, and Kip runs off. <laughs> it was great. Like, Colt Cabana is like a person who's perfect for this TV show. I'm so happy that he's now with the promotion full time. Just like if someone was like the bell to bell MVP of the show, it was Colt Cabana just sitting in the crowd doing like interviews. Seemed like he's having the time of his life. We'll get into what he did during the uh, Lucha. Oh no, not the Lucha. Sorry. I always call him Lucha. It's the Jungle Express, Jurassic Express and Butcher and Blade, but he was just an absolute delight here. Just almost pie face him. Like, like did like a swat him, uh, paintbrushed him. And it was tremendous. Yeah, it really had some heft to it. It wasn't like a little, you know, play acting push away. <laughs> but then he gets on the mic and he's like, you know, I'm like a gregarious guy or whatever, but I am a wrestler. And it's like, again, just felt very real. Tonally, he fits the promotion perfectly because he's like, yeah, you know, he's kind of a goofball and he kind of, uh, you know, does these things that blur the line with real and fake and wrestling or whatever. But then he also feels like the most real and genuine guy on the show. And he even gets that across when he's like, kind of being a tough guy and a, you know, a bit of a dick to Kip Saving because he came over and he's like, by the way, I'm a, I'm a fucking wrestler. Like, you know, just because I'm also kind of funny in my way. Don't forget that. And it just the 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 genuineness of that, the authenticness of, of him being himself in that moment enhances his, uh, you know, insistence that he's also like a, a legitimate wrestler. And you feel that as well. So, yeah, love Colt. Love Cold, a hero to freelancers everywhere, a hero to anybody who doesn't uh, usually have to deal with uh, having a boss and tries to make their own way. Uh, huge fan of Cold. Love him, love him, love him. Next up, we had a little pre-tape with Tony running into John Moxley outside. Mox is heading to get in his car. Mox is apparently on the do not enter list because he isn't medically cleared. The bit here was that he had just been barred from entering Daly's place, which is an amphitheater, so not really sure how they would bar him from entering it. He says, we have enough problems tonight. They don't need me punching any cops. Very funny. He says, so I'll just take a drive and blow off some steam, but I'll always be in the inner circle's blind spot, and I won't miss blood and guts for the world. I don't know. The uh, rumor is that Moxley is like a legit germaphobe and doesn't want to be around anybody, and that's why (laughs) he's only cutting pre-tapes right now. Smart. Credit to him. I mean, good point for uh, them still having the GT around. I mean, of course, they were in Jacksonville, so it was easy to get the GT there. But the, you you dropped what was the funniest thing in this whole entire segment here, AB. The fact that Mosley can barely fit into this car. And just the physical look of him getting into the car and peeling away was just unintentional comedy. It's like, oh, John Moxley, you actually are a massive human being. And these supercars aren't built for someone like you. So I thought that was tremendous. Next up, we had Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus defeating the Butcher and the Blade. No bunny, folks. She was nowhere to be seen. Luchasaurus pinned the Blade. This was the first time where I was like, oh, there's no crowd. Luchasaurus did his, like, hot tag and got his shit in, and it was like, oh, this would be... This is the first time where I'm like, this would have been a lot better with a crowd. Yeah, but we did have Colt Cabana and Joey Janela singing, so that was pretty good. Everybody did a great job of keeping the energy up the whole show. I mean, yes, it would have been better with a crowd, but they did the best under the circumstances. 
Well, one last thing about the crowd before we move on. I thought it was hilarious the fact they always portray MJF as the rich guy, but he was drinking Yellowtail with uh, he was drinking Yellowtail wine with Sean Spears, and that's like ten dollars a bottle. So I thought that was kind of funny. Evil Uno is in the ring with Stu Grayson. He says the Exalted One is near, and when he arrives, he will breathe new life into the Dark Order. Christopher Daniels interrupts. Wait a fucking second! Did we ever get the? We didn't get the Christopher Daniels Stu Grayson or the Evil Uno match. God damn it! it it's a bait dark. and switch. Plans change. <sighs> they were both in the building. Why didn't they do the match first? Maybe one of them wasn't comfortable with actually wrestling. Yeah. Maybe. Anyway, the story was supposed to be that he had to wrestle both, and when he beat both of them, that would point out the lie that the Exalted One didn't exist, but they, they bailed on that. But Christopher Daniels interrupts. He says, every time you get a mic, you lie. But you haven't made anyone's life better. He name drops Alex Reynolds and John Silver as people whose lives haven't gotten better. He says, you've just wasted everyone's time. And the biggest lie you've told is that there is an exalted one. There isn't. It's just you two. And then a video hits the Tron and we see Brody Lee walk out for a second. He says, I am the exalted one. We do what we want when we want. And if I want something, I'll take it. I couldn't really hear this very well. There's like a part where it got kind of muffled for me. I don't know if either of you had that. But you could ultimately tell that it was Brody Lee. And Brody says, Christopher Daniels, you're not the first out-of-touch old man, but I'll make sure you're the last. My name is Brody Lee, and I am the exalted one. We cut back to live action. We see them attack SCU from behind. And then Brody puts down Christopher Daniels with the big lariat that I talked about earlier. Good promo. Brody's, you know, <laughs> they had him being mute for his career for the last you know decade or whatever. It's like, oh, wait, he can, like, talk. Um, I don't, you know, this is like one of my little, uh, things that get stuck in my craw. That is probably not a concern to most wrestling fans, but I don't really see where his ethos ties into what the dark order has been promising. He's like, we do what we want we take what we want. And I'm going to put down, you know, old men who don't, uh, push me or whatever. I don't, I don't really see how that ties into the dark orders thing of taking jobbers and supposedly making them win now, but you know, maybe they were just trying to boost their numbers. But, yeah, I'm, I, I'm looking forward to seeing these matches now more than anything. I'd love to, you know, get this trios division popping off. Yeah, maybe they're going to go phase two with this now. Maybe they've reached phase two and we're going to get phase two mindset out of them. Uh, one thing we didn't mention about earlier was there were a lot of, like, references that they made to the White family here. Like him with the light bulb hanging overhead and the ring saying, let me in. Like, they, they definitely were making... They're cribbing on the square a lot with this with this stuff that I thought was interesting. But yeah, it's gonna be interesting because we don't know where the where the ethos of the uh, group's going to be going on going forward. Rather, it is like too close to the Wyatt family in a lot of ways that it's like kind of a bummer that you don't get to see Brody Lee kind of stretch his wings and do something else. And it's gonna invite a lot of comparisons. It's just gonna make you know the discourse unbearable probably at times. But I mean, we'll yeah, but at the same time, like, I'm probably one of the people who, who saw a whole lot more of Brody Lee on the Indies because he was mainly a Chikara and Dragon Gate USA guy. Didn't really have much of a character before, so it's not like he had the opportunity to come back to, like, his old gimmick and so forth. So this is probably what it's known for, and if we're talking about, like, what his realistic ceiling is, I love Brody, but he's probably, like, an upper mid-card hoss as his ceiling, so this is probably at least gives him something to do rather than just randomly show up like Sean Spears. 
Tony is next with Jake Roberts and Lance Archer. They're out in the in the crowd on the on the heel side of things. Tony tries to ask Lance Archer a question, but Jake Roberts takes the mic from him and says he's not here to talk, which I liked. And basically the point of this promo was that they deserve Cody's attention. You know, we told you what we wanted. We know you'll try to avoid us to stay out of harm's way, but you can't ignore us. He says, uh, shut me up if you think you can, but I don't think you can. It's time for you to stand up and meet the man. I didn't intend for this to turn into something personal, but it has. Now we'll get your attention. I don't think his promo made any sense, right? It didn't. It didn't make a fucking bit of sense. No, the, the whole thing was personal from the start. That was his whole reason for showing up was to personally go after Cody Rhodes because he was tired of him whining or whatever. And then I guess because Cody didn't confront him when he was at ringside during the match, Jake took that to mean that he was ignoring him. So now he's, it didn't make any sense. Jake Roberts has a lot of presence, but I don't think what he says makes sense. And, you know, Meltzer's point was, you know, when Jake's out there promoing, he doesn't get his guy over. He gets himself over. And I don't know. Certainly the pre-tape with Lance Archer did a lot more to help Lance Archer here than Jake's promo. It was pretty meandering from Jake. The first promo that he did I thought was really good, and it got to the point he was making, but that's because it was a personal issue. It felt personal. You could sense that between the two people. But now to claim that it's not, I get that he wants to say you ignored us from the perspective of Cody hasn't mentioned it, he hasn't said anything about it. He's just gone on living his life. And you can play on that, but you can't pretend that it wasn't something that it clearly was. Then we got the Lance Archer video. There's basically a bunch of people in and around a ring in a backyard. It looks eerily like a Juggalo Championship wrestling show. They say, who wants to play try or die? And basically we see a bunch of guys jump in the ring and Archer kills them while Jake is sitting looking on. We see a picture of Cody stabbed into a wall with Caesar written on it. Uh, Lance absolutely just cribs from Darby and power slams a guy into what I think is actually Darby's car, right? So that was kind of funny. Um, and then they they get a crane shot or I don't know, maybe a drone shot. I don't know. But you get up way high and on the ring is written, everybody dies. Yeah, it's looked awesome. Uh, it's just amazing how good the pre-tapes are in this company. <laughs> like they just immediately lap the competition in terms of uh, pre-tapes, like from the jump. I do think this, you know, Darby's in Atlanta area. So it would make sense if they just sent Lance and Jake, who's Atlanta area out there to do this. Uh, and I guess Meltzer said this was also a reference to the peanut butter Falcon movie that Jake did. Didn't see it, but you know, it was like a legit film that had a pro wrestling angle in it. So this was, uh, could be from that a bit, uh, but yeah, just looked looked great, you know. Uh, established Archer kind of as a monster, and it was just like a rich thing to watch. Just like yes, I love all this color, and uh, thought it thought it looked awesome. All right, last up the main event, we've got the inner circle team of Santana Ortiz and Jake Hager defeating the elite team of Cody, Matt Jackson, and Adam Page. Santana rolled up Matt Jackson after he and Paige tried to do the Undertaker. We talked about this earlier, but Hager grabbed Paige's legs, pulled him off the apron. But the most important thing was before the match, as uh, Jericho came out to go to commentary, Sammy Guevara sang Judas at the top of his lungs, based all the way through the first verse and the chorus. Just amazing. 
it just was like a funny moment like he was with the heel side and afterwards like they would cut the camera back to him and mjf was like saying i was all state choir you were a little pitchy on this you're a little pitchy it just was like a great form of disengagement between this and just like the whole entire general thing with the inner circle like i i know what the reasonable result should be with blood and guts but i just enjoy this group so much that i don't want to see them lose and just like the interactions and like the promo they did afterwards where he climbed or Sammy climbed up on Jake Hager's back and Jake wasn't able to do the push up. And then he did like the ultimate fake out push up to make it look like it. And it was just very obviously done on screen. Sammy, hey, I, I, Sammy Guevara would have been my MVP of the night if it wasn't for how much I enjoyed the, uh, bro, the, the Brody Lee and the Matt Hardy debuts. He just was tremendous throughout. The post match here was funny because... Uh, it became evident that Jericho did not have a whole bunch of patter planned and they were waiting for the arrival of the drone or whatever. Uh, and you, you know, you kind of, you get a little glimpse of like the real Jericho that you would hear on his podcast or whatever, where he's like, you know, reaching for whatever he can. And eventually he's just like, Hey, Sammy, you take the baton for a while. Uh, you know, thankfully they had Brandy there for uh, Sammy to riff on. Um, but yeah, the, all the, all the surrounding pomp and circumstance uh, I thought was uh, more exciting the match here the only thing i'll say about the match and hopefully they'll play on this is interesting that they didn't use jericho in this match it's santana ortiz and hager and they still ended up winning the match so it kind of helps to build up the idea that the heel team is is much farther ahead of the babyface team and uh, presumably that's going to lead to the babyfaces winning and they've overcome all this stuff but i just thought that was an interesting way to go with this See, I came at a different edge. I came with the fact that, okay, you have these three faces who have not been on the same page for like three months now. And they only got beaten because they kicked out that they were trying to go for a move that was interrupted and there was a flash pin. Like that's maybe, that might also be like me being used to like watching wrestling where flash pin is seen as like, oh, I have to get out of this match. I need to win and get away with it. And I feel like that gives the baby face team, other than losing and losing the advantage, which has to happen and is wrong. Like, I felt like that this, you could see that from the other side. I was just trying to, my mom called me a minute ago. You, you that sound might've come through. And so I was texting her to tell her I would call her back later. And she said, I was just calling to chat and I was trying to type, well, I like to chat with you. And I fucked up typing to chat and my phone auto corrected it to Robert. <laughs> <laughs> So he said, well, I like Robert. <laughs> wow. <laughs> hey, Mom, okay. I, uh, I've got something to tell you. Um, I, just really, I really like Robert. <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay, so yeah, Jericho, they're, they're playing the music after the match. He says, turn the music off. There's no one here anyway. Very funny. Uh, and he says he's decreeing no fans at Dynamite till he says so. I enjoyed that. He says, I don't want a bunch of pumpkin-headed dipshits chanting Cody. So he's decided to go with this phrase of pumpkin-headed dipshits. <laughs> it's Plus, over huge. Where's the shirt? Need a shirt? Oh, it's coming. Plus, we have five and you only have four. So this continues. I can't remember which show I've talked about this on, but I just assumed Nick was going to be coming back, and that would be kind of a story of the Blood and Guts match. It was like, is he going to be able to, to do it? But they've just decided to replace him completely. Well, they did They did a good job of, I think, uh, you know, misleading us a little bit in a fun way 
you know, because we had an idea that Matt Hardy was showing up. He didn't end up being end up being in the Dark Order. You know, I thought the logical outcome was Nick Jackson or maybe Moxley shows up for the Blood and Guts match and joins the Elite to get some measure of revenge on Jericho there. But no, they went you know uh, option C or whatever, which was a fun little surprise in Matt Hardy. Then they did the the Hager and Sammy push up thing that we talked about. Uh, Jericho says Inner Circle hasn't shown a crack. All we've done is win. We've dominated the AEW. Real Bret Hart hours here. <laughs> We've dominated the Elite, and we're going to dominate Blood and Guts, too. This is where the drone flies in. Matt Jackson says, we have had some problems, but we're not outnumbered. There's not just four of us. I made a phone call to a friend who owed me a favor, and the camera cuts to Matt Hardy just standing in the in the upper, upper arena, uh, just being fucking Matt Hardy. Just a perfect note to go out on. Like, wrestling is ridiculous. Like, him just... Oh, like that. That's a mental image that's going to stick with me from this night. It's going to be Matt Hardy by himself up on like the far top of Daly's place doing this. Wow. It what was, a business. So it just occurred to me the inner circle was not looking at the screen. They were looking out toward the ring. So they were yeah. looking to. So Matt Hardy's at the far end of Daly's place. Really like a that's the wall, brother moment <laughs> yes. here. Yes. Where they instantly, presumably, recognized him, even though he was hundreds of yards away. Oh, easily he was maybe like minuscule in the distance, but like he was out there doing this and just like they just the saw idea the arm, of, they saw the arm motion way off. They're like, they oh, saw that. it's the fucking Matt Hardy <laughs> arm. No. They, they, they saw like this weird person wearing like a sleeveless coat that was bright red who you could probably have the reflection of how white his teeth are. Like, have y'all noticed like something I fixate on Matt Hardy? Like, I don't know when he got his veneers put in, but they're like scarily white teeth he has. And it's just amazing. Just everything about this was fantastic. I like. I was not excited about the idea of Matt Hardy coming into the promotion. Just like not somebody I care to watch. But this was so dumb and funny that I just love it. I it just immediately won me over. I, mean, I that might was, that was the original appeal of the whole elite stick was just like how weird and bizarre and dumb it was. So in that way, it's working as intended. That's true. Like, I think it's possible I'll get tired of Matt Hardy. But I also, the way they're bringing him in, it makes me wonder if it's a long-term thing or if he's just coming in to kind of do some stuff for a little bit and, and fuck off. But this was just, it was everything that uh, that makes wrestling wrestling. Like, you can get a lot of stuff about wrestling elsewhere if you just want the competition, you just want the athleticism. But the absolute ridiculousness and just fucking dumb shit that happens in wrestling you can only get in wrestling and this was part of that all right a few more things to talk about quickly before that i want to remind everyone to check out patreon.com slash everything elite mike and i have been doing a fun series called road to blood and guts where we're doing shows with guests where we look at one jim crockett promotions or wcw um, war games match and then we let the guest pick another war games match and both of them are really fucking dumb ones so far so that's been a lot of fun uh, the, this week we put out episode one of that it was with drew spears we talked about the very first war games match and we talked about a war games match from xpw from i think 2002 Two. and it was yeah. one of the worst matches i've ever seen in my life so that was Absolute a lot of fun. dog shit match like seriously yeah. i the rest of the card, there was like interesting things on that XPW card, but terrible match. And yeah, no, that was a lot of fun, especially watching the first uh, War Games match, seeing it kind of be like this already 
like mature thing that was crystallized in Dusty Rhodes' brain that like left its chrysalis and was like this match butterfly already. So yeah, and, yeah. It, and it rules. It's a good match. And if you're a pa- if you're a patron, we've got uh, links where you can check out those matches before you listen to that episode. Next week we're gonna have friend of the show Oakgan on, and we will be talking about. I can't remember which matches, but we will be talking about two War Games matches. I think uh, Oat well, has picked 2010 TNA Lethal Lockdown. Right, We'll talk yeah. about that. And the war, the WCW War Games match is like, it involves Sting. I remember that. It's Sting, and it's when Sid was a part of the Four Horsemen. That's right. Yeah, it's good. This was your pull, not mine. Yeah, it's going to rule. And we will get those up so you can check those out, too, if you're a patron before you listen to the episode. And basically... When Blood and Guts actually happens, we'll, de- we'll determine whether there are going to be more episodes of this miniseries. So, patreon.com slash everything elite. Those are available at the $5 tier. There's also a $3 tier. Actually, I think episode one was is also on a $3 tier. So, you can check that out. Uh, but generally, that would be on the $5 tier. So, patreon.com slash everything elite. Dark. What they filmed for Dark? We don't know. There wasn't. I was like... Usually when I'm putting together the notes, I'll just type in AW Dark spoilers with the date and I'll get the matches. And then I, after I'd already done that, I remembered there wasn't a crowd. So there's no one to tell me uh, what they filmed. So all we know is that Sugar Dunkerton made his AW debut on Dark, but we don't know anything else. Yeah, no clue. There's nothing that's been out there. There's not really been a whole lot of leaks. And if the reports are led that we're led to believe, they taped a normal night's worth of TV. I mean, they might still be in Jacksonville. I've seen some tweets around Jacksonville from people in the roster, but that's all we know is that Sugar Dunkington faced, I think, Kip Sabian. I thought I saw Kip Sabian in the photo. So I think that that's fair to say that that's the only dark match we know. Next week, maybe. They were very, very clear on the show to say on the next Dynamite rather than next week, but the reporting on that seems to be that they were just being uh, cognizant of the fact that we don't know how the situation in the world is going to unfold, and it just might be possible that they can't have a show next week, but on the next show that they do, they're going to do Wardlow versus Luchasaurus in a Lumberjack match, Lucha Brothers versus the Best Friends in the parking lot fight that we talked about earlier, and the Blood and Guts match. Although PW Insider has done some reporting that they might push back the Blood and Guts match even if they do a show next week. Presumably they'd like to do that in front of a crowd, but to me it's like you do 932,000, you debut Matt Hardy at the end of the show, I'm putting my if I run next week, I'm putting blood and guts on there, and I'm trying to break a million. Yeah, I mean, you promise Matt Hardy, you deliver Matt Hardy in the blood and guts match. All right, well, I think that's pretty much everything that we had to talk about for this week. Anything else you guys want to discuss before we go? Nate's thinking. You get about an Animal it. Crossing today, AB. So, Animal Crossing. I feel like SB would love Animal Crossing. She would go fucking wild for Animal Crossing. So, SB has a uh, has an Etsy business where she makes uh, hoops. That do you guys does this make any sense to you all? She like does the, little, word, the word hoops alone does not help elucidate what you're talking like, about. Like yeah. a like a hula hoop. No, 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 no. It's like. Um, like hoop earrings? No, it's like a wooden hoop. It's got like a little screwy thing at the bottom. You'd see it in like, uh, fuck, I don't know, man. I don't know a lot about it. But she does little, she puts Jesus. like a layer of 
fabric over it and then puts a little like felted she makes these little felted characters that she puts oh, on there uh, oh okay. so it's almost like a cross stitch like ring that you would yeah, use yeah, yeah. And she does so that's that's way more that's different than hoops yeah that's what she, she's always like i'm like what are you gonna do tonight she's like oh i'm gonna work on some hoops so that's just like what is in my okay brain. anyway he's out on the driveway shooting threes yeah yeah <laughs> she's a baller so she has like ones that she makes and sells them but then she also does like you can ask her to make anything and she will do it. So this week, she's been working on an Animal Crossing one. She was like, show, right. show me this guy. And I was like, I don't know who this is. And she's like, it has something to do with Animal Crossing. So now she's vaguely familiar with Animal Crossing is all I'm, is all I'm saying. I mean, you know, knowing that she loves the kawaii characters, Animal Crossing is basically just, uh, you know, uh, it's like, you know, AEW is like a superstar making machine. And Animal Crossing is like a super cute animal character making machine. Yeah, it's like Nintendo's version of Sanrio. So it seemed like it would be kind of be somewhat up her alley. Like, was it like Tom Nook ones that she was doing? I mean, maybe it's like a uh, looks like a boy. Well, I don't know. Well, I thought you would know of Tom Nook because, of course, your Blyleth wall scroll, which looks incredible over there. I mean, Thanks. we know that you're a Thanks. big Nintendo fan. So that's why I figured you know which of these characters from sight. It's not that I don't know who he is. It's that I don't know which character she's making. Mm. Obviously. Oh, okay. I mean, Tom Nook. Yeah. On site. I mean, that's my dude, Tom Nook. But uh, I'm really just still kind of like hanging with Byleth, you know, so I don't want to offend Byleth by moving on to Tom Nook is the point I'm making. It's fair. It's, it's fair. If, just as something that you don't know what you're talking about, you just said that a landlord is your guy. Fuck. He's, I mean, he's not a landlord. He, he gives zero that definitely interest, seems to be he gives the... zero interest loans that you never have to pay back. So that kind of. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, he's 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 not a landlord, and also you're not renting from him. It's like a mortgage, so it's a zero interest mortgage that you don't have to pay back. So, so he's a banker. He's yeah, but like that's like you know halfway woke. Like that's what a that's what a great community bank would do. Would be like here's a zero interest loan. Also, there's no deadline. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not sounds what, sick as shit to me. Not, not what Tom did before he dropped out of the presidential campaign. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here banks. to we're we're you know we're. Uh, you're reclaiming Tom I'm, Nook. I'm, I was gonna, <laughs> we're sanitizing Tom Nook's reputation or something. I was, you know, reclaiming was what I was thinking, but not what I was going to say. Yeah. Sorry, I was trying to see if I could find uh, SB's Etsy shop so I could give it a plug here on the, <laughs> on the podcast, but I'm having a hard time finding it. I, I could put it in the show notes. Yes, we'll put it in the show notes. But Or, you know, if you're just thinking like, fuck, I really need like a hoop with a felted character on it. Or she also makes um, coffee cozies, like to, you know, put around your, your coffee mug with like okay. felted characters. If one of those, if you're thinking, I really need that, uh, DM me and I, obviously I'll, I'll set you up. Uh, okay, I've plugged my wife's Etsy business. I think that's good for this episode. <laughs> I, I got nothing. Hmm. Anything else weird to plug? <laughs> I don't think so. Follow us on Twitter at everything AEW. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji. Hey, uh, subscribe, rate, review, Patreon, all the good stuff. Whether there's a show or not next week, we will have an episode. We Everything Elite will never let you down. We will be back with an episode every week until the end of time. Easy. No doubt. Not even, not even sweating it. Nope, not at all. All right. For Mike, for Nate, I'm Aaron. We'll see you next time.